With that, we're uh, continuing our series, Christmas Comforts. And the premise behind the series is that we've had a pretty rough year. 2020 has been uh, not great for a lot of us. Um, and I think what we need uh, <laughs> is to know that God um, has some, some answers for that, that God has some, some hope for us. And so uh, we, we talked about the sympathetic Savior two weeks ago, and today we're going to talk about the tender Savior. And to do that, we're going to look um, at a scripture in Matthew about Jesus' birth, but then also we're going to see where it comes from, and we're going to see just what kind of God we have. So let's read together. When he arose, that's uh, Joseph, he took the young child, Jesus, and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, if you uh, remember the, the Christmas story, it, the Christmas story, of course, uh, gets very dark after you know, the, the manger scene where Herod's worried that, um, that there's a new king of, of Israel. And so he finds out from the wise men that Jesus is being born in Nazareth. And so he goes, or Bethlehem, and he goes and he, um, he orders the death of all these children. And Joseph is warned in a dream, and the angel in the dream says, get your butt out of there, go to Egypt um, to save Jesus' life. And it turns out, and Matthew tells us, that, that this action is actually the fulfillment of a prophecy. It says, uh, the, it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, most of us, when we hear the word fulfilled prophecy, or that phrase, what we think of is when, um, what was it? Was it, uh, it was Back to the Future 2? like, correctly predicted that the Cubs were going to win the World Series in, like, 20-something. That's what we think of, right? We think that, you know, uh, Biff goes to the future, and he gets, like, a, an almanac that tells you uh, all the different sports things that are going to happen, and then uh, he uses it to make a fortune because he knows the future, right? So we think of fulfilled prophecy as, like, here's what's going to happen in the future, and then it happens, okay? That's typically not how the Bible uses fulfilling of prophecy. The Greek is the word plerao, and it can mean um, fulfilling something in the future, but it typically means something much more like filling, filling up. So, for example, I have a, an, a horrible picture here. It's, it's, it's very disturbing to me. I've become a bit of a water nut over the last couple years. Um, I, I won't touch any tap water, uh, any crystal geyser, any Dasani. It's got to be Arrowhead. And uh, if... If, if I'm really, you know, feeling spendy, get the, that big bottle of Evian at the gas station. It's like li drinking a liquid glacier. I love water. And one of the things I miss about restaurants, now that they're all uh, shut down and going out of business, um, is I miss how you, 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 you sit down and then they fill up your glass with, first off, the one thing that's wrong with this picture, no ice. I mean, water needs to be at 32.8 degrees. Like, that's... That's it. So it's got to be filled with ice. And then they, they, they fill it up. And I love, I love uh, just going and just guzzling it down, ice cold. And then you know, putting the cup down. And then the guy's watching. He's, he, if you're at a great restaurant, he's, he's spotted me. He knows what I'm about. He comes and he fills it back up. And it's just, it's a wonderful moment. The way that prophecy works in the Old Testament is typically it's talking about something that's happening in the present or the very near future. 
Okay, so um, the prophet's talking about something that's happening now or maybe in the very near future. Um, but but that's, that, that, when that happens, whatever the prophet says happens, that's like filling up the glass like about a half or maybe three quarters, something like that, right? It's like, it's like the, the fulfillment or the filling of the prophecy. It's like, well, the, the prophet says this and it's like a little bit of water, maybe a little bit more, but it's not full. It's not filled up, okay? When prophecy gets filled up in scripture it's when it's when everything that the prophet has said has has been completely done as much as it needs to be done in God's plan it's like it's like uh, we'll see it here in a second but it's like Israel might do this and that fills up the, the glass a little bit but then Jesus comes along and he and he makes the prophet's words even truer fills up with extra truth all the way to the top to having a nice ice cold glass of prophecy and that's the first thing in your note sheets okay a lot of prophecy is filled up by Jesus. It's not that Jesus, it's not that the prophet is talking about Jesus all the time. It's that uh, whatever the prophet's talking about, when Jesus comes, he makes the prophet's words even truer. He fills it up with extra truth. And so we're going to see how that works in this text. So where does that text come from? Uh, out of Egypt, I called my son. It's Hosea 11. Hosea was a minor prophet um, near the end of the Bible. He's, he's got a relatively uh, short book, 14 chapters, I think. Um, and in chapter 11, it says this. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, the first thing to notice is that this is not about Jesus. Okay? This is about Israel. And it's talking about when Israel was like a little, little kid. Okay? Uh, and obviously Israel's not a, a child, but there's a metaphor here, right? And Israel's like a little kid, like a toddler. Uh, not a baby, but a little more than a baby. And, and at that time, Israel's in bondage to Egypt, and, and God calls Israel out of Egypt. But something happens. The more I called them, the further they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals. And they burned incense to idols. And yet it was me. I was the one who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by the arms. They did not know that I healed them. I led them with bands of human kindness, with cords of love, and I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their cheek, and I bent down and fed them. The first thing I want you to notice is that the first metaphor here is the idea of God being like a father or a perfect parent to a child, okay? Israel's a child. I loved him. I was the one who taught Israel to walk. I took them up in my arms. They didn't know that I healed them. I have a picture here of uh, teaching a child to walk. Um, I, I have three kids, uh, and the youngest, Soren, is two. And um, I think he started walking when he was like 10 months. I mean, this kid is like, he was all about, and he just hasn't stopped running around since. Uh, we had a wedding here last week, and uh, he got to participate, and he ran down the aisle as fast as he could. And then he was going to come hug me, but he realized that if he hugged me, I was going to take him away and stop him. And so he turned around, and he ran the other way. If you put him down, he's going to fly. Human beings don't actually start making uh, long-term memories until about the, about the age of seven in general. Um, so human beings start uh, with having memories at the age of two, but those don't stick around really until around the age of seven. So you'll have, most human beings have a few memories from before the age of six or seven, but very, very few, very infrequent. 
Um, it's just a part of brain development. And so I have a seven-year-old. She, um, when she was five, she remembered stuff from when she was three or four. But those things are starting to fade. They're gone now. And they're never coming back. And Soren's never going to remember when, you know, we're like holding him up and he was like, standing at the table. He's never going to remember that first step that ended with him on his face. Probably for the best. But I've got video evidence. I've got photographs. I know what happened. I know that Aaron and I and Alice and Olivia all worked together to help him so that he could get around. And that's something he'll never know. This week, uh, there was a crisis in the Bennett household. Um, Olivia uh, was trying to cut a, open a candy cane. And um, she cut her finger instead. I was, um, I think, looking at the news on my phone or something. And, and suddenly, there was shrieking. Just blood-curdling screams. And not just one, but two. Because Alice saw the blood coming out, and she lost it as well. She thought, Olivia, we're going to have to amputate the finger. So she's screaming, and she's running up and down the, the hall, like screaming, ah, Olivia's going to die! And Olivia's hyperventilating and screaming at the same ah, 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 ah. And I, so I get up, and I look. I'm like, oh, my gosh, really? Okay. So I'm like, Olivia, calm down, calm down. I took her over to the, uh, the sink. We washed the blood off. I was like, here, wrap it up for about five to ten minutes. Let the blood coagulate. That means it's going to stop. Right, And then after that, so we wait five to ten minutes. She's hyperventilating the whole time. Alice is crying, running around the house, waking up the baby. And then we, we take it off, and the, and the blood stopped. So we put on the Neosporin, and then we wrapped it in, in a Band-Aid. And I held her the whole time. And she was like, that's it? I was like, yeah. And three days later, she's already forgotten that, it, that any of it had happened. But I remember. I remember holding her and telling her it's going to be okay. I remember letting her know that that blood's not that big a deal. Do you hear the text? The text says, um, I taught you to walk. I held you in my arms um, and I healed you and you didn't even know it. They didn't know that I was healing them. The imagery that the, the prophets are using is he's talking about, um, about a little child and the, and the, and the way that God um, protects and, and nurtures and helps grow even though the child's unaware of it. Even though the child never remembers it. Even though the child is completely ungrateful because as far as the child knows, it never happened. This happened first with Israel, right? God's like, they're in slavery, and God gets them out of slavery and gives them a land. It happens again in, in Jesus, you know, Jesus, much more so, right? Like, Israel's here filling up. And with Jesus, it's even more, because when Jesus is, is born, uh, he, there's God's working behind the scenes to, to do all kinds of things, to prepare Jesus' life for ultimately his sacrifice that saves the world. 
And if we are in Christ, if we believe in Christ, then it's the true for us as well, that God has loved us and has been you know, teaching us to walk, working behind the scenes, healing us, protecting us, nurturing us, and we haven't even known it. And so the prophecy starts with Israel. It's filled up with Jesus. It's filled up even more with Coast Bible Church. That's a... Second thing in your note sheets. God protected and nurtured Israel, Jesus, and us while we were completely unaware. One of the things about 2020 is that we've been, uh, <laughs> we've been focused on all of the things that have gone wrong. For some people... It's COVID because we're not, you know, everything's shut down and that's bad. For other people, it's COVID because we need to be shut down more and people are spreading the disease. For some people, it was, you know, Donald Trump not winning the election. For other people, it was Joe Biden winning the election and and Donald Trump not accepting it. We've all been focused on everything that's gone wrong this year. And yet, if the scripture is true, if, if the prophecy is really being filled up, then actually what's going on is that the tender Savior has been working behind the scenes. And so the question is really not what went wrong this year. The, the question should be twofold. It should be what, went, what, what could have gone wrong and didn't. And alternatively, what's been going on behind the scenes where God has been nurturing us, has been building us up, has been giving us life, and we've just ignored it or not noticed it. That's the uh, next slide. The text is saying that Jesus, that God and in Christ has been teaching us to walk. He's been healing us. He's been holding us. And we've been missing it. Going back to the text, the metaphor ships up, ships up a little bit. First, we were talking about uh, uh, ch- parent child. Now, notice that we've switched to like farmer and and cow. Okay, I led them with bands of human kindness, with cords of love, and I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their cheek, and I bent down and fed them. Uh, some translations will try to um, continue the child parent metaphor, but it, it mangles the Greek. And so, if you're reading in pretty much any modern translation, it'll say something like, and I became to them um, as one who lifts uh, an infant um, by, uh, to, to my cheek or something like that. But that is, uh, it's a real stretch. And I think that actually what's going on is, is that the prophet's just changing the metaphor. It happens all the time. And, and here we go again. Now, this sounds great to us. I led them with bands of human kindness, like leading along a, a gentle cow with cords of love. I became as one who lifts the yoke from the cheek. I bent down and fed them. This is beca- this sounds nice to us because we, for most of us who live in exurbs, suburbs, and urban areas, have never actually seen a cow outside of a zoo. And so we think cows look like this. Mm. You want to just go and give it a little snuggle. Growing up, I, uh, I, my grandparents had a ranch, a, cat, a cattle ranch. And so during Christmas for a couple weeks every year, I would go up and I got to participate in the chores, uh, the feeding of the cattle amongst other things. 
And um, I very quickly learned that cows don't look like this. Uh, they look like this. And they're horrible. The first thing you find out about cows is they're dumb. They're very stupid animals. Uh, they, it's just hard to deal with sometimes. Putting, putting them to death is, is a mercy. Um, second, they're gross. They're just awful. They're like, they... they <laughs> you sit there, you're like, look, you just pooped. Why are you laying in it? Is it it's warm? Okay, that's other ways to get warm there, friend. Uh, the only redeeming thing about cows is that they're delicious. They have milk that is tasty and frothy. And they have steak inside of them that is delicious and wonderful. And so, the, and we, we have this, like, because we're totally removed from butchery and all that, we romanticize cows. We romanticize animals, like, oh, living off the land, blah, blah, blah. No way. In the ancient world, they were, like, cows were, if anything, they were like little machines that were, that were generated food. That's all they were. Like, no one, no one would sit around and be like, oh, I love you, cow. I'm going to take you to the market and sell you for magic beans, Jack and the Beanstalk. No one did that, okay? No one likes cows, and so this text would be really shocking in the ancient world when someone, God, talks about cows like this. It's like, wow, no. What does what God say? Uh, we can flip back to the text there. I mean, what, what, how is he treating this cow? First off, leading, the, leading with um, the bands of human kindness, cords of love. Okay, that's not how you till a field. Okay, you don't till a field by like, come here, come here, Bessie. Oh, sorry. No, you're like, whip that stupid thing. Because it's not going to move. You don't make it. And then you certainly don't, you go down, there's the yoke, right? And, and how, how intimate is this imagery? Like, the farmer's going down, like, just, just lifting the yoke off the cheek. Uh, I mean, what? Uh, no, you just pull, pull the thing off and be done with it. Bent down and feed them. That's not how you feed cattle, okay? You don't, you don't, here, honey, have some alfalfa. That's not how it works. No, what it works like is you, you go on the tractor or whatever you've got, you just bail off the hay, and the cows, like little, little machines, they vacuum it up, and they follow you behind you. But you don't spend any time loving them. Because they're dumb and they're gross. What God's saying is he's saying, Israel, you were dumb. You had no idea what you were doing. And you were smelly. But I led you where you needed to go. Even though you had no idea where we were going. And I fed you with manna from heaven. With a land of milk and honey. And so that fills the prophecy up a little bit, but then Jesus comes and fills it up more because we know that, that Jesus comes and he is led by the Spirit for every moment of his life, right? The Spirit descends like a dove, and from that moment on, and really before, but at least, you know, we can sort of see it in the text there, Jesus is being fully 100% directed by the Spirit of God. And not only that, but Jesus is being fed the Word of God so that Jesus is himself an expression of God's holy, infinite Word. And so we see that he grew in wisdom and stature in Luke. And it comes to the point where people are looking around being like, how does this young man know all the things that he knows? He's able to go and speak life into people's lives. He's able to call them out and the things that they're doing wrong. He, he's, he's, got, he's, he's been fed and led perfectly. And if we're included in Christ by faith, then that's true of us too. We also are led by the Spirit as a community. We also are fed by the Word of God. 
God waded into the muck of the world and gently led and fed Israel, Jesus, and us. And so isn't it funny that, you know, my prayers this year have been more or less variations on the following theme. Hey God, could we get a win here? Really? What are you doing? I mean, I... Yeah, yeah, I know you've got it under control, but, but this, we don't, where are we going? Should we have church inside, outside? What, what do we do about Black Lives Matter? How do we repair relationships um, between people who, um, you know, we haven't seen for eight months because of masks? And social distancing. God, what, what are we doing here? But the truth that the prophet is saying is that you've been being led whether you know it or not. You've been fed by scripture, by worship, by prayer, by community. The Spirit's acting and drawing you, and you, maybe you don't see it. Maybe because maybe you're kind of stupid and stubborn like a cow. And maybe these, these cords of love are, are drawing you to a place that, that you can't see, that you don't see, and you won't see until you're there. And then you look back and you're like, how did we get here? It all makes sense now. Maybe the things that you're experiencing, uh, the, the feeding that you're getting from scripture, from worship, from prayer, from community, maybe those things aren't nourishing you in the way that you want, right? But, but maybe down the line, you'll look back and you'll see that this word or that song or this phrase uh, that kept coming back in, in your prayer, these people, that they were, they were put there for a, for a moment, for a reason, so that, so that you would be able to, to go where you're supposed to go. You were being led and fed and you didn't know it. Because we're kind of stupid. And we're kind of gross. And yet God, the tender God, comes down to a bunch of mewing cattle and lifts the yoke from our cheek. It's number two for the, the tender Savior. I think if we want to have a sense for what God might be doing right now in the midst of this confusion and fear and anger, then we have to look back to places in our life where we've seen that God worked and we, we didn't know how it was happening at the time. But then with retrospect, with 2020 uh, hindsight, we, we see that God was leading and feeding and we can trust that God's doing that now. And the, the last part of the text. I skipped a bit here where, um, where God was... Being yelling at Israel for being naughty, um, but just you can know that Israel was naughty. They, Israel left God and kept running away from God, and, and then God's response is this: How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? These are um, small nations that, that 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 were wiped out. My heart winces within me. My compassion grows warm. And tender, I won't act on the heat of my anger. I won't return to destroy Ephraim, Israel. For I am God and not a human being, the Holy One in your midst. I won't come in harsh judgment. 
When I was growing up, spanking was not illegal. That's changed. Um, and so I did. I got paddled a fair bit as a child. Um, and it got to the point where, you know, and then, of course, my parents. They're like, oh, you're lucky we don't use a belt. That's what happened to us when we were kids. And I get why we've outlawed, um, you know, spanking. Because, you know, you can see there's a fine line between corporal punishment and just punitive cruelty, right? I get that. I understand it. Um, But I I definitely, you know, got my fair share of stripes. But there came a point, it was a beautiful moment in my life. I was probably like 10-ish. And maybe earlier, maybe later, and, and my, I'd done something wrong, and my mom was like, that's it, you're getting a spanking. And I was like, all right, <laughs> go for it. Because at that point, you know, my, I had developed some pretty thick calluses on my buttocks. And I, <laughs> what are you going to do? Come on, you're not that strong. <laughs> so uh, my parents, way, way ahead of their time, they figured out a better method of discipline. They took away my screens. See, I was a big fan of the Sega Genesis at the time. Big fan of Game Gear, Game Boy. My parents were like, oh, do you want to be naughty? No screens for you. And man, I hated that. And man, it's way worse now. Holy moly, have you seen what happens to your kids when you take their screens away from them? They absolutely go berserk. It's kind of, almost, it's almost entertaining in a way. Like, what's wrong with you, you little addict? Like, <laughs> it's not heroin, okay? It's just a screen. Like, what's wrong? Come on. Come on, guys. Come on, man. But man, it's effective though, right? It's like, it's like goodness gracious. Those kids, they, I'm telling you, one of these, one of these kids is going to snap and shoot one of us. So you think it's great that you've got guns in the house. If they figure that out and you take away their screen, you're taking your life in your own hands. Just FYI. Do you hear what, what, what God said? He's like, he's like, I can't quit on you. I can't give up on you. He's like, I, I, I'm not going to come in ultra harsh judgment. Because, because when I look at you and I look at your state, I, 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 my compassion is warm and tender to you. And if I'm honest, um, and, and, and I look at, at times in my life, uh, I realize that I've been let off really easy for the most part. At the time, you know, it feels like I'm being chastised or punished, and it's really, really horrible. Um, but really, it's really more just like taking the screen away for like a day. That's my experience of divine judgment. and Because for the most part, God's insanely merciful. For the most part, God just lets me off with a little slap on the wrist. And on top of that... Think about the, the fulfillment of this prophecy, right? Hosea's like, God's speaking, like, can I, can I quit on you, Israel? No, I can't. No matter what you do, I always come back to you. No matter what you do, I keep on loving you. And this is, this is filled. This, this, this prophecy gets filled in Israel, right? Israel does all kinds of terrible things, and God never stops coming back. God, in Hosea, in fact, God uses the image of a, 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 a husband who's been cheated on by his wife over and over and over, and yet he keeps taking her back. Like, he just never quits. That's the imagery. It's, it's, it's this brutal loss, and yet God is so committed. So, like, I'm not stopping with you, Israel. That gets filled. It actually gets filled up more with Jesus. Because at Jesus on the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
right? There's some, because he's being swallowed up by death, and God is the God of the living. And so there's this bizarre moment where Jesus, we confess, is the substance of God, is, is somehow derelict, in extremis, separated from God by death. And yet, even death, even, even death and the weight of the sin of the world is not enough for God to quit on Jesus. God says, no, I'm not going to let this stand. I'm going to go after you in the power and life of the Spirit. I'm going to raise you from the dead and give you life and glory forever. And so this, this prophecy, can I quit on you, Israel? No, I can't quit on you. Can I quit on you, Jesus? No, I can't quit on you. Can I quit on you, Tom? No, I can't quit on you. No matter what you do, no matter how far you go, no matter how bad you deserve a big spanking and have your screens taken away forever, I'm still going to come back to you. It's the last thing here, no cheats. God never quit on Israel, Jesus, and us. It doesn't mean that, you know, we don't suffer some of the consequences of our sin, but if we're honest, really, wow, we all deserve way worse than we've gotten. Way worse. Even at the lowest point, even when life has just ground us down, even when God has said, okay, you want to enjoy the fruits of your sin? Feel free. Even at that, even at that level, even where you're at the lowest point, God's grace and mercy are still infinite. His commitment to you is still never-ending. And so it's, 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 it's worth thinking about. It's number three on the tender Savior. If we look back and we say, when have we deserved this, right? When have we been, we really deserved our God smack? And God slapped us on the wrist and forgave us and showed us mercy. Because I suggest to you that that's probably happening right now. As bad as this year has been, we probably deserve a lot worse. And I wonder if maybe God isn't showing us an immense, incredible mercy and grace as we go through what we think is the worst. In Christ, we're told that the tender God behind the scenes, nurturing us, protecting us, even when we can't see it, setting paths straight behind the scenes in ways that we don't understand. And that's true now. It's true in 2020, just as it was true in 2019 and will be true in 2021, that God's behind the scenes, God's doing it, the nurturing and protecting. He's teaching us to walk. He's holding us and healing us. And what if we believed that? What if we lived that? What if that was deeply set in our hearts? What would life be like? What would the world look like to us? If instead of worrying about vaccines and when businesses and this and that, instead knowing that God's behind the scenes, teaching us to walk, healing us, protecting and nurturing. 
that God looks at us in our, in our, in our stupidity and our grossness and, 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 he's, and nevertheless is gently and tenderly leading us by his spirit into the places he wants us to go, feeding us with the power of his word, feeding us with worship, feeding us with prayer, feeding us with each other and our community. That that's not changed. It, it was the same in, in 2019 and 2020 and 2021 and, and forever that, that God is always feeding and leading and he's not going to stop no matter, even though we can't see it, even though we don't understand it. And what if we, as a community, lived knowing that God's not quitting? God's not done? It doesn't matter where, how far we've gone off. It doesn't matter how much we've, you know, messed up. It doesn't matter if we can't see the horizon for what it's supposed to be. God's not done, and he's not ever going to be done with us. He never quit on Israel. He didn't quit on Jesus, and in Christ we have the promise he's not quitting on us either. If we had this settled in our hearts, if I had this settled in my heart, man, 2020 would look a lot different. COVID would look a lot different. Riots would look a lot different. Elections would look a lot different. Everything that's around us, the, the bizarre, you know, home from working school from home and, and all of the, the and no movies, and it would all look way different. If in my heart it settled that God is nurturing and protecting, leading and feeding and never quitting on me. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, thank you for being tender to us. We confess, God, we don't see it. We're unaware so often. So often we're, we're dumb and a little bit gross. So often we're focused on what we don't have and, and the punishments we're receiving. And in that, God, we miss, we miss the way that you're uh, protecting and nurturing us behind the scenes. We miss the way that you're leading in your spirit, feeding us with your word and your and worship and prayer and community. And we forget that you're not done and you don't stop. That you're relentless in your love for us, your commitment for us. That the victory is yours and we get to be a part of it. Settle these truths in our heart, heart, God. Make us a people that are bright and shining, joyful and content. That no no matter if 2021 is worse than 2020, that we'll see how good you are and how much you have for us. We pray these things, God, in the name of Jesus, in whom we have these promises, grafted into Israel, given life in his name. Amen.